my fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wealth. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at River.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. My fellow plebs, today's podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mortgage. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your assets into real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investments in owner-occupied property. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will also be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.com today to register and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of FedWatch. My name is Ansel Linder. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, CK. CK, how are you doing? I'm doing amazing, man. And I guess, as always, but not all the time. Not, not 100%. <laughs> yeah, I should say that. Always with Ansel, though. Ansel is definitely always holding it down. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely try to, uh, to bring as much value to the show. And what a show do we have planned for y'all today? lot to talk about, talking FOMC, talking Bitcoin prices. You know, we're going to hit on some predictions that we made. And then obviously, we're going to be bringing and shedding light to on China, which is typically a place that, you know, in fiat land is revered. Although, mm -hmm. you know, us, you know, uh, freedom lovers, I don't think we quite get that. Ansel, how are you doing, my man? Things are, are warmer here in Nashville than they've been for a while. I actually had to turn oh. on my AC at the house because it's it, it's so warm and humid here. What's life in Florida like? Oh, man, we've been in the 80s, so it's been good. I just looked up like the average last frost date because I want to be planting garden stuff. And so that's already passed. But I know in a lot of parts of the country, that's like up there, I think in Nashville, maybe, you know, South Carolina and stuff. It is up into April. So yeah, that's the difference between that latitude <laughs> and down here in Jacksonville. We're already past our frost date. But yeah, it's going good, man. Bitcoin is doing pretty well. We did make a prediction, like you said, last week, but we will look at the chart and see how that came out. Also on this China stuff, I wanted to talk about, the, about this this week because we've heard a lot about Hong Kong and opening up a new Bitcoin exchange or opening back up to Bitcoin exchanges. And so this kind of fits in a mold with other things going on in China. And so I wanted to dig in a little bit deeper and talk about that. But if you guys are watching this, make sure you like 
and subscribe, comment down below, I'm trying to pump our numbers up, help other people find the content building in the bear market. So we need, as we're just coming out of the bear market in thawing into Bitcoin spring and the Bitcoin conference, you know, we want other people to be able to find the stuff. So please like, and subscribe and comment. All right, CK, do you have anything else to add admin note wise? Uh Oh, can they bring you yeah, in? No, me, me, me and Chris are fighting over who's, who's DJing. Sorry about that, Chris. Oh, I don't know why my camera is, is blurry here, but you know, talking about Bitcoin spring and thawing out the winter, yeah. come join us for the end of Bitcoin winter over in Miami, May 18th through the 20th for Bitcoin 2023. I'll be there. Ansel will be there. And pretty much all of the Bitcoin community is going to be there. This is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin. And honestly, it's turning into one of the biggest events in finance and energy as well. We have a really strong push right now into the energy markets. Both Bitcoin with mining is doing that, but so is the Bitcoin conference in terms of engaging with some of the biggest companies in energy. We already have Shell as a multi-year sponsor, and we are working to continue to push that narrative forward to continue to push forward Bitcoin in the energy sphere. So one of the most legitimizing things for Bitcoin are events like the Bitcoin conference, which brings thousands and thousands of people. So we are 44, or sorry, 84 days away from that event. So don't miss out. Go get your tickets at b.tc forward slash conference. Use BM Live to save 10% off and come meet me and Ansel in high fidelity real life. None of this blurry <laughs> crap. So I'll try to get my camera to readjust. But yeah, Ansel, any housekeeping items for you as well? Well, I just want to say that, that that's a very important point. I talked about this on my podcast, Bitcoin and Markets, this week about the Bitcoin stack and how many industries the Bitcoin stack touches. A lot of people don't think of mining as part of the Bitcoin stack, but it is, as well as layer twos and payments and remittances and side chains and, and everything like that. And now even branching off into ordinals, perhaps. And so there's all sorts of stuff happening in Bitcoin and a Bitcoin conference should be involved with the entire Bitcoin stack. So I'm very glad to hear that the energy industry is getting involved big time. Other than that, my plugs, bitcoinandmarkets.com. That's my website. Check it out. All of my content goes on there. I live stream three, four days a week. Then I put that out in podcast form later. I also write a couple newsletters on the site. So check out bitcoinandmarkets.com. Yeah. And if I could just give a huge endorsement to Bitcoin and markets, I've been a longtime listener since 2018. Some of the best signal in the space. And, you know, that's why Ansel and I are friends and he helps me co-host this show because, you know, he has a, I would say, a really strong history of being correct and being directionally correct. And I think over the last few, uh, over the last few weeks, so this show in particular has been very directionally correct on many things around macro and Bitcoin. And, you know, when it comes to talking China, talking Europe, talking Japan, we've been calling things right here for a couple of years now. So all of that is thanks to Ansel's awesome analysis. Yeah, well, I thank you. I, I think that it is about questioning your assumptions and not being too, you know, rigid, rigidly locked into what you have learned in the past. You know, you'd be open to new data. And that's what I like to do on my show all the time. So sometimes it sounds like ranting and raving, but really it's just exploring these concepts with a very open mind. So yeah, thanks for thanks for that. Well, we have FOMC minutes. Should we jump into that first? Let's do it. We're here to watch the Fed. So <laughs> that's that's what we do on this show. Yeah, yeah. So FOMC is the Federal Open Market Committee. This is the policy making body of the Federal Reserve. It consists of eight permanent members and multiple other 
rotating members. The permanent members are, of course, the chairman and then the president of the New York Fed. And then all the other feds kind of shift and rotate out who is on on the FOMC and who's voting. So anyway, that is a little bit of background on the FOMC. There was some confusion coming out this week because the minutes dropped from their last meeting. So after every FOMC meeting, three weeks later, their minutes of that meeting come out. And you know, the minutes are doctored as well. It's part of their policy is to have certain things in their minutes. It's not a word for word transcript or anything. It's it just kind of out. They put out what they talked about. And there was some confusion a little bit early on because in the minutes, apparently they said that there was a few participants that would have preferred 50 basis points at the last meeting. But in the vote, there was no dissent. So that didn't match like because they raised 25 basis points. So there would have been dissent if there was a few members that wanted 50 basis points. But as it turned out, these were non-voting members were in dissent. So they didn't show up in the press conference or in Powell's statements right after the meeting. Anyway, this this was kind of interpreted by a lot of people as the most dovish statement from the Fed or minutes, I guess in the last two years. So we're gonna read through a little bit of this story from Zero Hedge. The headline is FOMC minutes suggest Fed fears financial conditions decoupling, warns about high equity valuations. TLDR, Fed minutes appear to argue against what Powell said during the presser on the decoupling of financial conditions from monetary policy. Powell declined to try to talk down financial markets pointed pointedly noting that it wasn't up to him to persuade people saying we're just going to have to see by contrast it seems like there were others on the panel that were concerned quote participants noted that it was important that overall financial conditions be consistent with the degree of policy restraint that the committee is putting into place in order to bring inflation back to the two percent goal so th this is a lot of talk about financial conditions. So what exactly are financial conditions? Well, those are things that you can generally think about four different components to that. The US dollar, the strength or weakness, corporate bond spreads, equity market levels, the level of interest rates of different maturities, you know, treasury rates and, and bond rates of all, all sorts. So those are what kind of make up financial conditions. And as financial conditions are getting easier, of course, that means that the markets should rally. And as conditions are getting tighter, that means that markets, markets should be going down. And the whole point of the Fed over the last little while has been to crimp down on financial conditions. They've wanted to destroy demand and destroy the market, basically tightening financial conditions. Well, over the last few weeks, that has not, or last couple months, really, that has not been the case. So let's see, I think I have a slide here with that on it. Slide number three, please, Chris. Next one. So this is their chart of the Goldman Sachs US Financial Conditions Index. So this is not gospel or anything. This is just the Goldman Sachs measurement of how financial conditions are. And as you can see, it kind of, it was going down since, what is that? September, October getting easier financial conditions despite the fed continuing to raise rates but what this article is pointing out is that orange line which was the fomc meeting powell was saying you know the, oh the financial conditions are decoupling from our policy because their policy continues to go up their policy rate but financial conditions continue to ease so that's opposite however since that meeting you can see it has been up 
And that's what this article is pointing out. But I would also like to point out, if you go to the next animation, there we go. So this that line is the last FOMC meeting in December. And you can see that financial conditions did tighten after that last FOMC meeting as well. So this perhaps is just a reflexive reaction by the market to tighten you know, right after the rate hikes. And we'll see how it goes from here. But there's nothing on this chart that says it's going to get tighter. I think most likely we're at a temporary you know, swing high and it's going to get easier. Financial conditions are going to ease once again. But any comments on this, CK? I do have one more chart, actually. All right, you're muted, but let's go no, to the next. Sorry, no, com no comments here. Okay, let's go to the next chart or backwards. Sorry, to slide number two, Chris. Yep, there we go. So this is the Bloomberg Intelligence Fed Minutes Sentiment Indicator. That's a lot of words just saying that what how the algorithms interpreted the FOMC minutes. And you can see that this was came in at a negative 10 on the dovish side, you know, zero would be kind of the delineation between hawkish and dovish. And this is the most dovish they have been all the way back April of 2021. So I think that's pretty significant. But again, I feel like we're reading the tea leaves here. And uh, so CK, now do you have any comments on this? Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm struggling with my mute. No, I mean I I don't have I don't have a ton of comments other than we've been covering this, which is that you know the Fed says one thing and the market mm. kind of does its own thing. So while I would say like you know analysts and maybe day to day action, price action, you know can be affected, you know the long term trend is is pretty detached. Yeah, Chris, if you go to slide number three again, you can see that the last two meetings did have an effect, okay? They did have an effect, a temporary effect of raising or tightening financial conditions, but then that immediately reversed and the trend continued downward. And so I, that's what I want to get through to people is that the Fed does have some effect through their jawboning and through their narrative management and all this stuff. There is some effect in the market but it doesn't make the trend. The market makes the trend, like you just said, CK. But we also told that this, these minutes were a big deal. I mean, the financial press always wants the clickbait. So that these minutes were a big deal. Let's take a look at what they, how they affected markets. So next slide is Bitcoin. We'll see what that has happened since the last, uh, a day and a half ago when the minutes were released. And uh, you can see we're slightly down, really no effect here and CK, I know you're probably going to ask about this, but last week when we predicted the price or I predicted the price, that is exactly where we were right there at 24,800. And I said, we were going higher and we still haven't done that, but I want to put this in context too. Like, we down, sir. <laughs> yeah, but we haven't broken down to, you know, a different level. We're, we're still at that same level kind of going sideways. So yeah. What do you got CK? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're exactly right. You know, it's difficult to say on a week by week basis how things are going to go, but the the market hasn't rejected this move yet. You know, there mm -hmm. it looks like there's just a little bit of a consolidation here, and you know, you kind of have some nice lines drawn here where there is support. So we'll see if you know what happens over the course of the next week. I won't put you on the spot this time around and <laughs> and see you know what you think for next week. But um, we should do a month. Know, what what is it next month? And that that would be better. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, hey, you're you're calling for higher prices in Bitcoin and in the stock market, you know, yeah. over the next, you know, qu this quarter and next quarter. So, you know, that that's kind of been the prevailing thesis on the show since 16K. And as you can see, you know, when things were in the depth and I was saying that, you know, there's going to be another big industry player to fall. Ansel is feeling bullish and you can see those, you know, that week of just straight green candles. Yeah, well, let's go to the weekly chart and we can take a look at how it's looking on a little bit longer term basis. We've talked about this as well. The 200 is the orange line, 200 day or sorry, 200 week moving average is the orange and the green is the 50 week moving average. And they did converge on this spot, you know, with a death cross, first ever death cross on the weekly chart for Bitcoin. But this does follow the first ever bullish divergence on the weekly chart as well, which I don't have on here. So there's things, signals on the weekly chart, but it is interesting that we rallied right into this point of horizontal resistance and also moving average resistance. It's just very interesting. And if we go above this, if we can break above 25,000 now, look at that blue sky above us. So any comments on the weekly? The death, the death cross thing is, is pretty interesting, but yeah, I mean, like you said, it looks as though there is nothing but blue sky in front of us. And, you know, I'm just waiting for, for Bitcoin hitting 50, 60K again, because that is where, you know, I think those round numbers will still be really impactful for those who are kind of ignoring or think Bitcoin is yeah. dead once again. And, you know, fifty around 50K is when we get to that $1 trillion market cap once again, which is another round number that is definitely meaningful. Absolutely. Yeah. Another great point. Psychological resistance at 25,000. Just a lot of convergence of these resistance zones. And so, yeah, if we break through that, I think that's going to be a, a huge statement. And that makes me think of the uh, Karsten, Augustus Karsten, the BIS mm -hmm. uh, head, mm -hmm. head of the BIS, and how he said that crypto has failed or something like that, or they they've what is it? Crypto lost the battle against fiat is what he said. Of course, he wouldn't ever say Bitcoin because that would be more press for Bitcoin. But in, in that article, he said FTX, you know, the, the, the collapse of FTX is a bad sign for the market and yada, yada, yada. And I responded on Twitter. I was like, has anyone told him that we're above where FTX collapsed? You know, we're, we're 13, 14% higher then right before FTX collapse, it's actually that black horizontal line on this chart right here. So, you know, all, all of the FUD, we, we talked about Peter's Zion last week, all the FUDsters are just going to go by the wayside one after one after the next. I also want yeah, to I mean, go ahead. Can I just say that, yeah. you know, crypto definitely is failing. It's hilarious to see <laughs> yeah. Coinbase continue to double down on crypto and Ethereum and centralized layer twos with their announcement of base today. Uh, but crypto is failing against fiat. The only cryptos that really matter are, you know, dollar stable coins and Bitcoin is not crypto. There is a massive contrast that we're trying to educate the public about is that there's Bitcoin and then there are the centralized cryptos and yes, they are failing and I, they don't have a long future ahead of them. They are intra. So it's yeah. interesting to kind of see, you know, Augustus is obviously trying to lump Bitcoin into crypto. But the funny thing is with, you know, the people who are skeptical of the greater crypto ecosystem, they're not 100% wrong. The thing that they're wrong about right. is not distinguishing Bitcoin in particular.
my fellow plebs come celebrate bitcoin winter in miami at bitcoin 2023 the largest bitcoin conference in the world returns to miami from miami 18th to 20th head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today use promo code bm live to get 10 percent off your tickets before prices go up plebs if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the bitcoin market and broader macro environment then you need to subscribe to bitcoin magazine pro today there's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts dylan leclaire dr jeff ross and sam rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to subscribe today at bitcoinmagazinepro.com I think they're trying to FUD this for the CBDC aspect. They're trying to build a case for why crypto and lump Bitcoin in there, why that is failing and why they need a CBDC. They need a central bank to come in and control the plebs or something. But crypto wait. is failing, but it's the inspiration for the only thing that we're talking about right now. Right. Yeah. Like how how ironic is that? Yeah, exactly. It, they're they're taking the technology behind crypto but let's, I had I had another point here also the Binance did you hear about Binance and liquidating all the Australian customers in the future in their futures exchange is that correct yes. I read something about they closed out derivatives exchange in Australia yes all at the same time that's pretty big news if you ask me that's pretty bad news and what happened to the price really nothing it, it's still right around 24,000 so you know that's a sign of a bull market is when bad news just rolls off the back of Bitcoin. So I think that's very, very important. Okay, let's go to the next slide. We have the dollar. And I've been waiting for this bounce, CK, you know me. And it finally has bounced. It is forming this like ascending wedge. It's kind of a bearish pattern, but we'll see. It's above the 50-day, and that is traditionally a very strong sign for the dollar. And it is actually, since I've taken this screenshot, it is even higher than it is right here. So it does look like the dollar is strengthening. But what I have been kind of painting this as, not a repeat of the dollar wrecking ball. This is just a, you know, return to normal. You have, when you have a blow off top, just like in Bitcoin, you have a blow off top and you have a reverberation spike down, and then you kind of find a return to normal. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to return to normal way up in the mid one, you know, between 100 and 110 on the DXY, but that is the dollar. And then I do have one more CK before I get to, to hand it back to you is the S&P 500. So the next slide, please, Chris. And this is looking pretty good. Again, from this snapshot, it did dip a little bit, but you can see that we are on a path of higher highs and higher lows above the 50 day moving average, just like Bitcoin. And so if Bitcoin is going to break up, we should also expect that to be a leading indicator of stocks. So that's all I have for charts, CK. And I, I do want to tie it back into the FOMC. So is this important what the FOMC said? Not really. Again, it's people are trying to read the tea leaves, but when it comes down to it, the market is going to do what the market's going to do. So what's your take? Yeah, I mean, in terms of the uh, the stock market, you know, you've been calling for higher prices in the stock market in 2023. So interesting to see that trend continue. I want to kind of dig in a little bit. I know we've talked about this many times, but why do you think that Bitcoin is, serves as an effective leading indicator for the stock market? And 
Why does Bitcoin's correlation with the stock market, why is that not necessarily a bad thing? Well, it serves as a leading indicator because there is, it's a, not as deep of a market. And so there takes, it takes more, you know, there's more players in the stock market. There's a lot higher market cap for, for that to move. And with Bitcoin, if the trend changes, if financial conditions change, like we just saw that chart from the Goldman Sachs and the financial conditions, their, get, their financial conditions are easing. And that's good for Bitcoin and good for other things like st the stock market. But it takes a lot more to move the stock market than it does Bitcoin. So that's why I'm saying that Bitcoin is the leading indicator here. And also, if you look back in 2022, Bitcoin was the leading indicator there as well. The stock market looked like it might rally and Bitcoin was flat. And then the stock market caught back down to Bitcoin. So Bitcoin was the signal in 2022. And I believe it is you know, maintaining that being a signal in 2023. And I mean, Ansel, I know that you kind of mentioned that Augustus Carson was kind of lumping in Bitcoin and crypto saying that FTX was this big harbinger for, for, you know, crypto and Bitcoin failing, you know, as a concept. Do you think now that more and more information is coming out that, you know, any of the conspiracies around FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried and the nature of that that kind of organization and blow up as being something that was almost, I guess, supported by and enabled by U.S. regulators so that that way they could have this big blow up and now the subsequent crackdown that's happening. Was it something that is purposely, you know, I guess it was, was it a conspiracy to attack Bitcoin from the beginning? Is that something so, that, you know, that what, what do you make of those conspiracy theories? So you're saying the entire project FTX was a conspiracy or building it up, letting it flourish sure. only to let it crack down. Well, you know, I don't yeah, think I mean, so. I, I mean, I it just, it seems like the calls for FTX was always, you know, an inside job. Like how did it, you know, get, you know, how did it grow so fast uh, only to blow up? How, how did regulators not see it with them being so closely in tune, you know, you know, with with Sam and in collaboration with with that team, there seems to be like a ratcheting up of those theories. Yeah, but I think regulators just didn't understand. They didn't understand the technology. They didn't understand the business model. They didn't understand any of that. And we've had in the past, you know, Binance and Coinbase and these other companies that are extremely successful. And so it it wasn't like completely out of the ordinary to see something like FTX blow up, especially when they seem to have this marketing scheme, you know, to attract the exact right customers, which they did. Also, it, their business model fits in very well with all the other scams in the space, you know, like Terra Luna and, and Celsius and everything. It just turned out to be Ponzi schemes, you know, all the way down. And so it doesn't, you don't have to believe in the conspiracy theory to explain FTX, but I, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying that it's most likely that it's not a conspiracy. And once he starts dishing out hundreds of millions of dollars to politicians across the world, right? Not just in the United States, but across the world, that it's almost like we don't even want to think about it. it I, I've talked about this lately too, you know, the old saying where if it, if a man's income depends on him not believing something, it's almost impossible for him to believe in it. And it's kind of like that when, when hundreds of millions of dollars are going to politicians and to regulators and things, 
it's very hard for them to even consider looking deeper into the matter. They're just going to assume that everything, it's just another business, just like Coinbase or Binance or something. So that's what I would say. Do, do you have any pushback on that? You know, I tend to believe and I tend to agree with you that there isn't this giant kind of like globalist conspiracy and rather it's just kind of the incentives of fiat money and, and you know, when things do blow up, obviously an opportunity again for politicians to try to act as if they do anything to help consumers. But, you know, I tend to agree with that, but it does seem pretty fishy in general. You know, all of the kind of, I guess, all of the puff pieces about him, all of the kind of nice treatment, even him being able to get off on bail. You know, I think there's like a hundred million dollar bail and Apparently he, he, he was able to post it by, you know, pledging a $4 million house as collateral. Like who, who made up the difference? Like, why was that acceptable? And like, what world is, is that something that's normal? So very strange. Uh, he is, you know, not in prison, but to, just today, Sam Bankman Freed was charged with four more charges of conspiracy to make illegal political contributions and defraud federal elections. You know, are people going to question the, the, the Biden election since Sam is a top 10 donor to Biden? I don't know, but you Top know, this donor, has to be, right? yeah, I mean, this has to be another kind of black eye against, you know, the, the current reigning. Yeah. Well, I think a lot, I mean, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of things that, I mean, there's evidence both ways, but I think the overriding preponderance of evidence is that it's just, it was just a scam, a well-marketed scam, but also and I would go ahead. Go for it. I was going to say, Chris, uh, producer, Chris coming in with some, some fact checks, $250 million bail. And it is common on huge bail like that to only have to post 10%, but still $4 yeah. million home. That's not, that's not 10% of a $250 million bail. Didn't it come out that it was a bunch of faculty members or Stanford faculty members because it don't both of his parents work for like Stanford or Berkeley. Or they're, they're both Stanford professors. Yeah. Mom is a big fundraiser for our, or yeah, fundraiser for democratic leaning PACs. Dad is, you know, kind of a legend, I guess, in terms of tax law, financial law, etc. Yeah. Very interesting. And I was going to say something about something else right before that. But I don't remember. I don't remember. Are we ready totally to move on the next you. thing? That's all right. Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so that is the FOMC. That is the charts. Now let's dive into China. And one thing that I've been saying a lot on my China. podcast, China, a lot of my podcast is really the only bulls out there on China are the macro commentators. And we'll get into the, on this, these articles here. But businesses are not bullish on this reopening. It's really only like you'll see Bloomberg analysts or Goldman Sachs analysts or JP Morgan analysts, you know, these people are trying to pump China back up. And the, the hope is that China can save us from another global recession, just like they did back in the great financial crisis. So anyway, let's start with this first one. And this is from the Gatestone Institute. I'm going to pull it up here real quick. I'm not going to read through these bullet points, but the headline is crazy optimism about China's China, China's economy. And let's get into the meat of this. So China's propagandists tell us the Chinese economy this year will accelerate to 4.8%. Foreign analysts are even more bullish. Goldman Sachs in estimates growth of domestic gross domestic product of 5.5%. 
China's National Health Commission announced the end of the Communist Party's dynamic zero COVID policy on December 7th. So that's already two and a half months ago. It did not take long for Wall Street to crank up the optimism machine. Morgan, Shan Morgan Stanley on the following day issued a research note predicting that Chinese equities would outperform emerging markets and global peers. I also want to say that since December 7th, the oil price has been basically dropping that whole time. There's no evidence of like a major power reopening. You know, if you had to look at the oil chart or even the natural gas chart, enter any energy market chart, and you would have to say, when did China open up? You couldn't do it because there is no difference. So th this isn't making a huge impact on in the global economy at this time. Continuing here, since then, financial analysts have been falling, oh, sorry, have been falling over themselves to say how China's stocks will continue to soar this year. Stocks may soar for a while, but China's economy is far sicker than analysts assume. At the heart of the sunny news is how fast China has put COVID-19 behind it. And then it talks about some COVID stuff. I'm going to skip that. Beijing's position is that the disease has already peaked so that further spread is unlikely. No wonder investors are exuberant. COVID relaxation is central to the idea that Chinese, the Chinese economy will produce solid growth. Bulls, aided by Communist Party and central government propaganda, make the argument that the end of disease control measures China maintained one of the world's strictest set of rules for three years, will result in a binge of revenge spending. Quote, Chinese consumers trapped inside their apartment during parts of the pandemic accumulated more than $2.2 trillion worth of bank deposits last year, which should fuel more spending, said Wall Street and the Financial Times. Is the bull case correct? There are four primary reasons to doubt it. So now we're going to get into the four primary reasons from this article. First, China's disease st statistics are questionable. And I'm not going to read through those. We all kind of understand that. Second, even if China were over COVID, as the, the regime maintains, the economy is still plagued by its over-dependence on property, which accounts for almost 30% of GDP. Prices and sales have been plunging since late 2021, when Beijing finally restricted imprudent lending to big developers, most notably China Evergrande Group, now in default. Housing is critical because it also accounts for about 70% of the wealth of the middle class. The Chinese people have powered the, have powered the economy with spending when property prices were rising, either because they were reaping gains on sales or because the wealth effect. Now the opposite of the wealth effect is depressing consumption. Quote, the property sector downturn is hardwired into the first half of 2023, reported the Rhodium Group last month in an analyst analysis on China's economic prospects. That means a downturn in the first half GDP is also hardwired. Third, so this is the third reason. Uh, the Chinese economy is far weaker than Beijing claims. The National Bureau of Statistics reported that GDP grew 3% last year, but that is highly unlikely. And I think it was 3% nominal. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. Fourth, the regime during the pandemic did almost nothing to remedy the principal structural flaw in the Chinese economy, the over-reliance on government spending, which over decades has resulted in overbuilding and therefore created mountains of questionable debt. And this is my main point on why people should be bearish on China. Gregory, Gregory Copley, 
the president of the International Strategic Studies Association, tells Gatestone that, quote, the fundamentals of the Chinese economy have already been destroyed. So the optimism about the reversals of Communist Party policies on COVID management will be short lived. China is back is how the Financial Times summarized the message of Vice Premier Li He to the just completed World Economic Forum gathering in Davos. Maybe so, but it is back to the old faulty economic structure. Quote, China is too optimistic about a quick, quick economic turnaround in 2023 following the COVID lockdowns. Andrew Collier, an analyst at Global Source Partners, said in an email comments to this publication, quote, local governments are running huge fiscal deficits. Many people are holding on to cash because they're worried about their health and the downturn in the property market has affected people's retirement savings. In any event, Copley, editor-in-chief of Defense and Foreign Affairs Strategy Policy, says that, quote, foreign analysts of mainland China's economy have always engaged in wishful thinking, and there is now an air of desperation. China is not going to have a good 2023 or a good 2024. Foreigners are going to lose money in China again. So that is that story. Any comments on that before we continue with the next few? You know, I think when it comes to China and people's mental models towards China, I think people have to understand that central planning does not work. So Correct. even if there are like short stints of like what appears to be good decision making, swift, decisive action, in the long run, the central planners will fail, they will make mistakes, and often they'll double down on stupid. So I think that's the core of our bearish thesis against China. And I think COVID, COVID was kind of a canary in the coal mine where it was bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And, you know, there's just so many headwinds against China that just them now finally returning to what the rest of the world has done for almost a year and a half, two years now, it's not like it's going to ignite. You know, the people have been depressed. The, the, the real estate market has popped. They're tearing down buildings. People aren't paying their rent. And, they're pro you, you know, people are protesting in the streets despite, yep. you know, massive surveillance and massive social implications for doing so. I think things are just going to get worse and, you know, all eyes on China. But it is funny to hear all the macro experts saying bullish, 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 even independent, you know, blockbuster commentator Doomberg, not Bloomberg, Doomberg is saying things like China will ignite and be red hot. You know, we've been saying, no, China is going down for a long time. So let's see who's right. You know, my, my bet is on is on FedWatch. Yeah, I mean, it might be red hot nominally because they're printing a lot of credit over there. You know, the, the central government has said, banks, go out and lend. We need to pump up this bubble again. And so there might be some red hot numbers, but that doesn't mean like volumes will increase. It's just going to be the price tag is going to go up. So we should expect high levels of inflation out of China. And they can't export inflation like the U.S. can or other other companies that have open capital accounts, you know, they have a closed capital account. And so all of that new credit is just going to steam up their own economy. And again, maybe make the numbers look hot, but not the actual economic activity. But let's continue because there's some more stuff coming out of China. So if we go to the next slide, Chris, this is out of the Financial Times. And the headline is China no longer viable as world's factory, says Kyocera. Japanese component maker is investing at home with first new plant in nearly two decades. 
U.S. curbs on China's access to advanced technology are killing its viability as a manufacturing base for exports, according to the head of Japan's Kyocera. As one of the world's largest makers of chip components, shifts its production elsewhere and invests heavily in facilities at home. Haido Tanamoto, Tanamoto, whatever, president of the company that is an important part of the chip supply chain, made his stark assessment as he leads an aggressive investment strategy for Kyocera that includes construction of its first factory in Japan in nearly two decades. Quote, it works as long as products are made in China and sold in China. But the business model of producing in China and exporting abroad is no longer viable, Tanamoto told the Financial Times. Not only have wages gone up, but obviously, with all that's happening between the U.S. and China, that's difficult to export from China to some regions, end quote. I thought that's pretty much it for this article, but it's just a huge sign that business is not bullish on this reopening. They don't even care, really. They just might look at it as an opportunity to start diversifying. Lots of people have moved to Vietnam. There's lots of companies that are moving back to Japan, even Taiwan. I've heard some places, some companies are moving over to Taiwan. So, yeah, it's not only is there debt problem, real estate problem, spending problem, communist problem, but there's also this problem with businesses fleeing and people cutting China out of supply chain. So also one more thing about this before I turn it back over to UCK is if real estate was 30% of their economy and exports are 30 or 40% of their economy, and both of those sectors are being negatively affected, how on earth does anybody think that they're going to be able to pay their debts? They're not going to be. It's going to be a credit collapse over there, and it's going to be massive, massive recession. Maybe that will be kick off a global recession. I don't know. But again, they don't have open capital accounts. So it's possible that a recession in China is much more isolated to the Chinese economy. Okay, CK, any comments on this Kyocera story? Yeah, I mean, the the only comments I would have is that, you know, the COVID lockdown did not show that China is a good place to do business anymore. It actually showed that it is not, and, and it's similar to China banning Bitcoin mining. It showed that it is a jurisdiction that cannot be trusted to invest into. So no matter what the benefits of being there, no matter the technical competency and infrastructure that is already built in order to optimize China for doing this for the past 20 years, that is, it's already moving away. And, you know, Apple is committing to moving away, you know, Samsung, Almost everyone is committed to moving away. And we're not even talking about yeah. the issues with the Uyghurs, right? And now we're talking about the political and PR issues with that China is actively, you know, putting, you know, a whole sect of people in their population in these internment camps, in these re-education camps and, you know, organ harvesting. So that's a whole nother scandal that has yet to even really make massive news, but it can't be good for business, especially in the world that we live in today. So I'm bearish China, even as a manufacturing hub. And, you know, we see in the comments, you know, people are trying to reshore things to the United States, India, yeah. Taiwan, the Philippines, all of these places are getting more and more competitive and more and more capable. And those places are, are a lot more aligned with the West than the CCP and China. 
Exactly. And you bring up investors. The next article I have here is about investors. So, you know, what, what are you going to do if you have a debt problem and you have all these problems I just listed? Well, you're going to try to get investors, foreign direct investment. You want money to come in. So this story, China regulators opens property market to private equity investors in bid to boost developer liquidity foreign access. The pilot program will allow private equity investors to launch funds to buoy the property market in mainland China, will provide much needed liquidity for developers and help foreign funds tap the market, according to analysts. The China Securities Regulatory Commission announced the launch of, a, of the pilot program, which allows the creation of fixed asset private equity investment funds to invest in residential and commercial real estate and infrastructure projects in an announcement on Monday night. It also encouraged foreign investors to participate in related funds. Quote, the policy will provide new funding sources to revive existing property assets, said the director of the Shanghai-based e-house China Research and Development Institution. These private equity funds have big potential to participate in ensuring deliveries of housing projects and merger, mergers and acquisitions of real estate assets. It's positive for tackling some developers' distressed assets. So as you can see, this is, uh, they're trying to attract this foreign capital. And I want to kind of nest this Hong Kong opening up back up to Bitcoin back in here too. So like they're, they're doing this private equity, but they're also allowing Bitcoin to come back into Hong Kong and hopefully get some of this industry, some vibrancy maybe back into the economy, you know, definitely some Bitcoins to flow over the border back into the economy, maybe even revive Hong Kong as an international financial hub because it has been losing its status over the last couple of years since China retook it. So that's what I have. Any comments on the Hong Kong thing or this investors in the real estate? Yeah, I mean, I feel like all of this is too little too late. The narrative that Hong Kong, the old Hong Kong is dead, Hong Kong is now part of China, has already taken hold. Carrie Lam was a clear Chinese CCP, you know, instated leader. And I just think that, you know, this reopening, all of these attempts to try to kind of get back what they squandered via their top-down decision-making during 2020 and 2021, it's all too little too late. So it'll be interesting to see the impact that it makes. But I just think that like Hong Kong has lost its status now. In the minds of the global population, Hong Kong is now a different city. It's now a different place. It's no longer that financial. And there are just other cities that are going to be competing for that. You know, I really do think the downfall of Hong Kong was the rise of Dubai. And Dubai has mm. been surging. But even more than ever before, Dubai is kind of serving as that freedom city state that's business friendly, which Hong Kong used to be the bastion of that. So and then with the, the real estate thing, sure, you know, I'm sure there's private equity that's trying to get in at dirt cheap prices. But is there <laughs> enough private equity in the world to bail out this market? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it would take a couple hundred billion dollars worth of investment. And I just don't think the that like Goldman Sachs is trying to pump it up. JP Morgan is trying to pump up this investment opportunity, but I don't think there's just enough people, enough money that want to do that to pump it back up. And even if they I did, mean, it would, there's more uh, bullish places too, right? Yep. There's just more bullish places, Florida, Tennessee. <laughs>
I mean, that's where we're at. But I mean, you, you think that a lot of that's coming back to the U.S. Yeah. Uh, there is a question here, just not not to change the subject completely, but there's a question in the chat from Facebook. What about the BRICS nation building a new currency and attempting to settle uh, transactions in that or backing that with gold? What are your take on that? What's your take on James's question? Okay. Yeah, I see this all over the place. This is a very big talking point. Talk about Posnar. What's his name? What's his first name? Zoltan Posar. Zoltan. Yep. Yep. He has talked about Bretton Woods 2.0, having a commodity-backed or a BRICS-backed currency. I just don't think putting a bunch of crappy currencies together make it any better. I think it makes it worse. I also think that the network, you know, money is a network effect. And if you go away from the prevailing reserve currency, just because it has to be for a really good reason, you know, because the dollar is failing or because your, your alternate solution is so much better, but there, there's no reason to turn your back on that network effect. So I think that these, if they do it, it's a net negative, you know, like just picture any network and you, most people are on this network. And then you all of a sudden want, you know, take a couple people out of a, a million and go and make your own network. You, you set yourself back dramatically more than you set back the network itself, the, the, the original network. So I don't think they will end up doing this. They'll probably try. It's probably more um, ceremonial than it is, you know, is, it's a milestone. Like we're, we're starting to move away from the dollar kind of a political move more than it is a actual economic move, but it's going to be very hard to de-dollarize. Now, taking that into Bitcoin, how does how is Bitcoin better? How will it survive? Well, because Bitcoin is a commodity money. Bitcoin is sound, hard money, and you won't be able to trade in these crap currencies. Credit will start shrinking. You'll start having deflation, deflationary effects in the dollar-based system, and Bitcoin will offer a escape from that. So a yuan or a yuan slash ruble, whatever, is not going to replace the dollar. It has to be something completely different that is sound money. That's what I think. So CK, any additions to that? Yeah, I mean, I've always, for the longest time, I've agreed with you that the game that is being played right now is the dollar system versus the new virgining Bitcoin system. Uh, so I just don't see a world where, you know, I just don't see a world where the BRIC nations can out-coordinate Bitcoin in terms of taking down the dollar. So I don't have to say more than that. The whole point of Bitcoin is it solves the Byzantine generals problem. It is a <laughs> currency for those who cannot trust each other. And even the BRICS nation, they're coming after each, other's, each other's throats. I think they are more opposed to being subject to the dollar than they are actually trying to work together. You know, we're talking about in the chat, India is going after China's jobs and China's manufacturing. And, you know, each and the of border. these countries are, yeah. So each of these countries, they're going to be doing what is best for themselves. And ultimately having one, like a brick coin, even if it is backed by gold, it, it's not going to be a more salient and more viral technology than, you know, the open standard for monetary value, which is Bitcoin. Well, yeah. And also think about, would Beijing want to cede any of their monetary sovereignty to Brazil or South Africa or India? No, they won't. 
This is a, they're not going, they're going to say, oh yeah, let's make a new BRICS currency, but we're in charge of it. And that's, that's just never going to happen. So, but if it, if they do these small things, like we saw Iran, I think in China signed some deal in, was it in, it must've been in Yuan. They, they signed a deal for some energy or something like that. If those little things happen, those little marginal contracts happen, it does weaken the dollar's network effects slightly. So it actually helps Bitcoin. If the competition is between Bitcoin, Bitcoin's network effects and the dollar's network effects, and these little marginal moves like this are destroying some of the dollar's network effects, it doesn't mean they're going to be replaced by a BRICS currency. It means it's going to be replaced by Bitcoin more easily. So... That's all I have for this week, CK. You have any final comments? No, I thought that this was going to be a 45-minute show, but it looks like we're <laughs> going to go all the way for the full hour, y'all. So, you know, Ansel and I can always rant about China. Yeah, uh, yeah. And y'all, come visit us at the Bitcoin conference in person. We are going to be there May 18th through the 20th. Can't wait to celebrate the end of Bitcoin winter. If Ansel's right, price should be bullish. So I'll see you all there. And we will see you all next week on Thursday. Actually, I think I won't be there, but Ansel will be on the show next week. I'm taking a little bit of a sabbatical, a little bit of a break while I go travel to Argentina and experience hyperinflation oh, in person. Nice, much deserved vacation. Yeah, hopefully Nolan will pop in here and be a co-host with me. That would be great to catch back up with Nolan. But yeah, for me, guys, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com. I do a lot of podcasting, a lot of talking about this topic or these topics and writing about these topics. So check out BitcoinandMarkets.com. All right, y'all. Peace. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Magazine time, y'all. Bitcoin is for everyone, lefties, righties, and the rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin magazine print edition is called the Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naib Bukele, Jeff Dice, Natalie Smolinski, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy from the local Barnes & Noble bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.